Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Through Jesus podcast with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, Following God, Following Godly People, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. Quickly before we get started, if you're new to Live Through Jesus, make sure you go to livethroughjesus.com and sign up to receive your free five-week Bible study over Abraham. There you'll also find blog posts that coincide with the teachings on this podcast and social media links, which is another way to keep in touch throughout the week. Okay, let's get started. Have you ever had a leader or a teacher or a mentor, someone that you really admired, someone that was a good example to you and that had been with you for many, many years? If you've ever had someone like that and then they move away or pass away and you no longer have that relationship anymore, then you can probably relate to what the Israelites are feeling in this story today. So this is Moses's last address to everyone. He knows he's about to die. And this is Moses saying, I won't be with you when you go into the promised land. God has told me it's time for me to go. And so Joshua is now going to be your leader. So this is Deuteronomy 31, 1 through 8. And it says, Then Moses went and he spoke these words to all of Israel. And he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will give them over to you that you may do to them according to every commandment that I commanded you. Be strong and be of good courage. Don't fear or be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you and he won't forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and he said to him in the sight of all of Israel, Be strong and of good courage. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to your fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He won't leave you and he or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And so notice that Moses is 120 years old. They say that he spent his first 40 years in Egypt, you know, his mother nursed him for a little while, but then she gave him to the princess and he was raised in, uh, you know, the Pharaoh's court and he lived there for 40 years. Then he went to Midian and he lived in Midian for 40 years. That's where he met his wife and he married her and had their children. And then God called him to deliver the Israelites from the Egyptians. And so his last 40 years have been that going in and starting with the plagues of Egypt and then crossing the Red Sea and going through and all of that. And then they were going to go into the promised land. They were supposed to go in the very next year. And the people were too afraid. They saw the giants there and they didn't want to go in. And 
So they've been wandering in the wilderness for this 40 years and Moses is not allowed to go in with them. And we've talked about a couple of those reasons why, but I'll briefly remind everybody that God told him to speak to the rock and give them water and he struck it instead. And so God's punishing him for that and telling him you're not going to go in. And then also this is just a new thing. His, his leadership time is over. Um, and that's why it's over, but it makes sense because they, they're starting out with a whole new group. And so, Joshua is going to be this new leader that takes them in. And, you know, I don't know if y'all are like me, but like whenever I read the Bible, I sometimes forget to think about it. Like these were real people having a real situation (laughs) going on here. And so I was thinking about that, what this must feel like to all of them. We already know that Moses is sad that he doesn't get to go into the promised land, but what must the people and Joshua be feeling at this moment? These people have never known their lives outside of Egypt without Moses, like at all. They've never been outside of that Egyptian land and they were slaves there. And so they were ruled by someone else. And so they don't have any sense of of how to live really by themselves, govern themselves, anything like that. And then on top of that, they're not going to have their leader that, that's been their only constant all of these 40 years. And so I was just thinking that that must be really scary to them to think about. And, you know, if you've ever like had a pastor for a really long time in your church and then he passes away or moves away and then it's like you're just kind of lost, you know, and I'm sure that that's what they were feeling times like a million because, you know, he was literally leading them, not just like on a Sunday morning or or, you know, when you went to him for counsel or whatever. And so. I just thought that that was uh, probably hard for them. But then right after that, like right after that, Moses says, hey, but don't worry because God himself is going to go before you into that land. And so even better, right, (laughs) even better than Moses, God himself is going to go into the land before them. And then he says, you know, Also, you don't have to be afraid of this new land or afraid that you're not going to be victorious because remember, God has already defeated some nations on this eastern side of the Jordan for you and you've watched him do it and you see how you've been victorious. And so it's going to be the same way over there and you're not going to go alone. Not just spiritually will you have a leader, but I'm I'm giving you another leader and it's going to be Joshua and he's going to do the same things that I do. And then it's like, oh, whoa, now how does Joshua feel? He's probably like, yeah, um, okay, you know, this is going to be a lot. And, you know, like, as we were saying before, like if a pastor knows that he's leaving, he might have a protege that he's training along the way, you know, to kind of, this is what you do with this. This is what you do with this. Well, Moses has been doing that 
training Joshua all this time because he knew that he was going to go in. But um, he's going to a whole new place. He's not staying in the same church, <laughs> doing the same things, you know. So he's got the same people that he's leading, but he's leading them into a completely unknown land. So he also must be scared. And so Moses is telling both of them, don't be afraid. God's going to be with you. He's going to make you victorious. You don't have to, you know, be scared and you don't have to be intimidated by what's about to happen. Because even though I'm not going to be here, God is going to lead you and God is going to lead Joshua and he's going to go ahead of you and prepare this new land for you. And so I was also thinking about, you know, what it would be like if you were going into an unknown place by yourself. You don't know what to expect there. You do know that you're going to face opposition when you get to this place or do this thing. I mean, we may not be going to a physical place. We may just be doing a thing that God has called us to do that we know that we're supposed to do, but we're going to face opposition when we get there and we're going to have to fight or we're going to have to work or something is going to be hard. And that's bad enough. But then on top of that being bad enough, you just don't even really know what to expect. And so I was thinking about it in the terms of a physical place and like, you know, a whole bunch of kids standing around, you know, like you're out exploring, you see something and you're like, oh, I want to know what's inside or whatever. But you're thinking, but I don't want to go in because I'm scared. I don't know what I'm going to find there. And I just had this scenario playing out in my mind because I'm feeling that this is probably what these people would be feeling and why Moses is telling this because, you know, you've got kids and it's like, oh, I wonder what's inside there. Go see. You go, go, go check that out. And then it's like, I'm not going in there. You go in there. And then it's like, okay, well, I'll go if you go. And then it's like, well, maybe I'll go if all of us go, you know, and so everybody's like, intimidated to go in and then you have a dad come up see this and he's like I'll go in I'll check it out I'll make sure everything's fine and then he goes in and he looks around and he clears all the obstacles out of the way and he looks to see what's dangerous and what's not and then he calls them in you know and then maybe one person is like kind of the leader and he says yeah okay I'll I'll peek around the corner, you know, and then the dad's like, come here, look, this is what you don't need to mess with. This can hurt you. This over here isn't that neat. You can touch that. These are the things. And then all the rest of them follow. And I think that's what Moses is telling the people is that, no, I'm not going to be there with you. But God, the father who knows all the things, he's going to go before you. He's going to check out all the land. And he's going to make sure everything is is in its place and ready for you when you get there. And so you don't have to be afraid. He's preparing the way before you. And then he's going to lead Joshua, that one little boy that he takes by the hand, and he's going to say, this is what you do. And then Joshua is going to gather all the rest of them and say, come on, this is what we're doing. And so I thought, well, that's more comforting, right? If you know that your dad is already looked at it all and he's checked it all out and everything's fine and he's taking somebody by the hand and he's saying, you know, come on. And then you know that 
your dad and that older brother, they're okay. And so you're like, okay, I can go in. And I think that that's what he's doing here with him. And so I just kind of wanted us to go through like what it must have been like for them and how important it is to have God there to lead the way, to to show us the way to go and that we don't have to be afraid as long as we are following him. When we have to be afraid is when we go off and wander and go into the woods and the caves and all the things without the dad checking it all out beforehand, without, you know, somebody there to protect us and, and on all of those things. And so how important it is for us, one, to follow God, and then two, to have a spiritual leader like they had in Joshua. And so I'm going to read you a couple of verses that would pertain to how we can be led by God. And so the first one is Luke 12, 12, and it says, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, the context of this is that the, the disciples are getting uh, rested for believing in Jesus and for preaching the gospel. And he says, don't worry about what you're going to say ahead of time. Just trust that God's going to help you. But it's the same for us, no matter what situation we're in, is that the Holy Spirit can teach us what to say. So we don't have to worry when we go to do whatever it is that God's asking us to do, that he's not going to give us the words to say. I think that most of the time our fear in this would be sharing the gospel. It would be telling somebody else about God. And we think, oh, maybe I won't have the words or, you know, maybe they're going to do this. And you, you think about all the different scenarios and it's like, no, don't do that. Just Trust that God's going to give you the right words at the right time and and just let him guide you. And then John 14, 16 says, this is Jesus speaking. And he says, I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. And then Jesus again in John 16, 13 says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you the things to come. I thought that that was so wonderful also that he'll tell you the things to come. And so this is Jesus. He's been the leader, just like Moses was the Israelites leader. He's been the leader of the 12 disciples, certainly, but also a ton of people that have been following him for three years. And he's about to die. And he knows that he's about to be gone and they're going to be left again feeling like they don't have a leader. And so he says, don't worry. It's actually good that I go away because if I go away, then God will send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And right now I'm with you in the physical sense. Yes, but I can't be with every person at every moment. But the Holy Spirit can. And so the Holy Spirit is going to be even better than I am being here with you right now because he can guide every single person at every single moment where you have to actually physically leave your homes and follow me if you want my guidance. And so it's better for you that I go away. And so he says, when I go away, God will send the spirit of truth 
and he will tell you all the things that are ahead, all the things that are about to happen, just how God is preparing the way for the Israelites when they enter the promised land. He says, you know, the Holy Spirit knows what's ahead of you also, and he will prepare you for that. He will make ready for that, and he will be with you always. And so it's important that we pray and we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and teach us and show us the way and give us the words and all of those things. And then we don't have to be afraid. It's the same thing. If you are entering a place that you're scared to go into, if you know God is going before you and he's going to teach you what to say and show you the way, then no reason to fear. So they can say the same things to us. Don't be afraid. God is with you. He's going before you. And then also just how important it is for us to have spiritual leaders, for us to look to other people that are following God. We have to be careful, obviously, that they're actually following God. We have to check what they do with what the word of God says and all of those things. But when we find those people that we know for certain are following God, then we can follow them. And then they're a tangible person. And so God did both of those things. He said, yes, I'm going to go before you and I'm going to prepare the way. But you can't see me and I know your people and that might be hard for you. So I'm also going to give you a tangible person. And I think he does the same thing for us. He gives us the Holy Spirit, but he also knows that each of us kind of need that person to see that's following God and that person that even when we follow God and sometimes they don't and vice versa, that they can, we can check each other. And so he, he wants us to have um, relationships with other Christians, even, you know, other Christians that are, that are not even just a leader, but just someone that keeps us following him and doing the right things. And so I want to read y'all one verse on that. This is Hebrews 13, seven. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so consider their outcome, the, the way that they live, you know, like I say, pay attention, make sure that they're living by God, but then see how that's benefiting them. See how they have a peace and a joy, you know, you, you can tell when someone has a, a close relationship with God a lot of times just by, by their fruits, by, by the, the fruit of the spirit that's living within them. And so uh, consider the outcome of their way of life and then imitate them. And so we're also supposed to do that. So let's go ahead and keep reading Deuteronomy 31, 9 through 13. So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all of Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, then you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who's living within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law, and that your children who haven't known it may hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. And so 
have to realize that Moses has written down all of the words of God up to this point. He's written all of Genesis through Deuteronomy. And so he's got this entire set of scrolls, but they don't have multiple copies like we do in our houses. And so they only have this copy. And so it is the priest's job to read this every seven years, only every seven years when the people get together at the Feast of Tabernacles, will they read this? Because remember, this is the time that they live in tents for the week and remember when they lived in tents for the whole 40 years when they didn't have a land that God had given them. And so that's a perfect time to read all of these things that have happened and all of the commandments that God's giving them because this is the time that they're remembering all that had happened in the past, all that God has already done for them and that he's the one that's blessed them with this land and why they want to follow him and then giving them the laws. So they're going to read this to them every seven years, but they have to pay seriously close attention, right? Because they're not hearing this. They can't pick up their Bible every single day and read it. And so they're probably much, much more attentive than what we are whenever we're listening to the word of God being read. And they're probably really taking note of all of the things that are being said. Now, uh, granted, a lot of the things are narrative. And so these are stories that are being told. So they're going to be passed down. People are going to be, you know, going home and they're going to be talking about, oh, this is the way that God created the earth. And this is, you know, Abraham and his sons and all of those things. But then there's all of the laws, all of the rituals, all of those types of things. And so they're going to be paying really close attention because they have to know these things. They have to know when they go to the tabernacle and all of the things that God has asked for them to do. And they have to teach those things to their children. And so they have to pay attention so that they know them. And then notice how he says, and also your children, as they come of age, they will hear these words because they're not always going to understand them when they come initially. But as they grow, they'll start to understand these words. And um. I did a, a little bit of research and I thought it was really interesting. The things that I figured out from the timeline, you know, Moses obviously wasn't around when God created the earth. And so God told him the things to write in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all of the things, you know, all of Genesis that he was unaware of and how his birth came about and all of those things. God told him all of those things to write down. But also, you know, they surely been handing down history um, for, for all the ages. And very interesting is that Seth, which was Adam and Eve's son that they had after Cain killed Abel. Well, Seth, was still alive when Noah was born. I had no idea about that. But, you know, he lived to be 912. <laughs> and so he was still alive when Noah was born, not when the flood happened, but when Noah was born. And I don't know that him and Noah chatted, but obviously, you know, Seth has been handing down 
the stories of what happened in the beginning to all the generations and they've been handing down. And so you're going to be really firsthand information because Seth was alive when Noah was born. And then Noah was still alive when Abraham was born. And then Levi was still alive when Abraham was born. Levi was Moses's great grandfather. And so Moses' great-grandfather was still alive or was born when Abraham was still alive. So, I mean, this is really close. And then when you go to Moses' grandpa, his grandpa entered Egypt when Joseph invited them. He entered freely. And then Moses' dad was born and died in Egypt. And so there's been firsthand information because these people lived so long before the flood. So anyways, I'm sure there was a lot of history that was handed down, needless to say. But also, obviously, God delivered the words to Moses, just like he did to all of the people in the Bible that he told to write down the word of God, because all of God's word is is his actual word. It's not Moses's account or whatever. I mean, it is, but it's, it's inspired by God. Also, you know, Moses went on the mountain twice for 40 days when God dictated how to build the tabernacle, all of the, the commandments, and he very well told him how earth was created at that time also. And maybe all of these books exactly what to write down. So we know that, that God inspired it. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And so we know that all scripture is inspired by God. But I did think it was neat that he's also been getting some firsthand information about a lot of these things that have happened. So that was just a little bit of fun facts. For you. And I wanted to just say how important they must have counted the word of God. You know, he told them to keep it there in a safe place where it can be read and studied by the priests and then taught to the people. And if you only have one copy of something, it's important to you. You know, when you have a million copies, you not only don't just think that that one book that you have is important because you can just go get another Bible if you lose this one. But do we even treat the Bible as so precious and important, you know, just because it's so common or whatever? They had only every seven years that they got this whole book read to them, set of books. So it had to be so much more treasured for them than it is for us, that we can read it anytime. We go to church every Sunday, all of those things where, where we have access to it in such a, a tangible way that they didn't have. And so I just thought that that would be worth us just kind of reflecting on just a little bit about how precious these words must have been to them. And maybe that we need to treasure God's word a little bit more than maybe we do. And then, you know, how much they must have memorized because they didn't have it there to go back and check, you know, and they wanted to get it right. And they're listening intently to the stories and then the things that are pertaining to them in their lives right now. They're 
they're really listening and they're trying to memorize it so that they can, you know, teach it to their children well and all of those things. And so do we memorize God's word? Do we see any point? I think we've talked about before Corey Ten Boom, how whenever they went into the concentration camp and she said that the words had been read to her every single night for her entire life. And if I'm remembering correctly, she was maybe something like 40 or something. And so she knew them. She knew God's words because they had been read to her and she just absorbed it. It's like a movie, you know, that you watch over and over and over again. You just know lines that the characters say. And she knew the Bible and she was able to recite it when she didn't have one. And so I think we just take for granted sometimes that, oh, I can just pick it up and look at it. And maybe we always can, but what if we can't, you know? And so how great that she had the word of God memorized. And obviously we don't have it when we're out in the world and we're talking to people and we are sharing the gospel, you know? I mean, maybe we do, maybe we have it where we can get it out, but how much better that we would be able to tell people what God's word says, at least in paraphrase, if nothing else. And so we need to know it. And so I've told y'all before that the whole Psalm 119 is basically the importance of the Word of God, but it's also the longest book in the whole Bible, so I'm not going to read it all to you, but I picked out like maybe 10 verses that are just a sentence long, and so this just tells you what they sang about the Bible, because the Psalms are, are songs that they sang, and so this is Psalm 119.11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then Psalm 119.50, this is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 104, through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So it's saying his word guides us. So we were just talking about that, how God shows us the way. He says, you know, your God's word guides our way. And then 133, direct my steps by your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. 140, your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. Um, 148, my eyes are awake through the night watches that I might meditate on your word. He stays up in the nighttime thinking about God's word. You know, they, they, he wasn't reading it. He didn't have a light on. And so that means he must know, he must know God's word. I lay awake in the night thinking about your word. 160, the entirety of your word is true and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. 161, princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. 162, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. And then 172, my tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. So just telling how precious God's word is. So this is the last of it, uh, Deuteronomy 31, 14 to 29. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tabernacle of meeting, that I might inaugurate him. And so Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle of meeting. Now the Lord appeared at the tabernacle in a pillar of cloud 
and the pillar of cloud stood above the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the other gods in the foreign land where they go to be among them. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. Many evils and troubles will befall them, so they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God isn't with us? I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil that they have done, in that they have turned to their to these other gods. Now, therefore, write this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. And when I have brought them into the land flowing of milk and honey, of which I swore to your fathers, and they have eaten and they filled themselves and they've grown fat, then they will turn away to the other gods and they will serve them. Then they will provoke me and they will break my covenant. Then it shall be when many evils and troubles have come upon them that this song will testify against them as a witness. For it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants. For I know the inclinations of their behavior today, even before I brought them into the land that I swore to them. And then Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. And then God inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and he said, Be strong and of good courage. For you shall bring the children of Israel into the land that I swore to them, and I will be with you. So it was, when Moses was completed writing the words of the law in the book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. I know your rebellion and stiff neck. If today, while I am yet alive with you, you've been rebellious against the Lord, then how much are you more after my death? Gather to me all the Israels of the tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in the hearing and call heaven and earth as witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. Evil will befall you in the latter days, because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger through the work of your hands. Okay, so I'm going to summarize this, and then I'm going to go back and talk about a couple of details. So first, God says, okay, now that you've spoken to the people, I want you and Joshua to come into the tabernacle, and I want you to speak with me together. And God comes to them, it says, in a pillar of cloud. But not only does he come to them speaking from this cloud, but he keeps the cloud over the tabernacle outside so that the people know that God is in there with them. And so that is pretty significant that the people are aware. Um, Moses and, and Joshua didn't just enter the tabernacle together to just have a chat. God is talking to them. He's there with them. And then he tells Moses, what I would assume might initially be sad news to Moses, but also he obviously knows that the people are not going to last, you know, forever because they have been rebellious towards God all of these years and he's had to continuously pull them back. And so God says, you know, they're not going to stay with me forever. They will for a little bit, 
But what they're going to do is they're going to take my blessings and then they're going to forget where they got them from, basically. They're, they're going to enjoy the fat of the land and then they're going to be satisfied. They're going to have all the things that they want and they're going to totally, you know, forget about them. And the one that's given them all these blessings in the first place. And they're going to break their covenant with me. They're going to quit following me. And so he says, I want you to write the words to this song down so that they will remind them in these days of all the things that I've done for them. So Moses says, okay. And he starts writing down the song that God gave him. And then God himself inaugurates Joshua as the new leader. And he says all the same things that Moses says to Joshua, except he's God. (laughs) And so that must feel so much better, right? It must feel so much better to hear from God's own mouth. I'm going to be with you and you're going to be successful in bringing these people in. Remember, this is exactly what God told Moses when he called Moses to go to Egypt. He said, don't worry, I'm going to be with you and you will be successful because you will worship me again on this very mountain after you brought all the people out. I'm making you that promise now. And so he's saying the same thing to Joshua. I'm going to be with you. I won't leave you. I'm going to tell you what's what to do all the way. All you have to do is follow me and then you will be successful. And so to hear God say, okay, you're going to be successful. You're going to carry these people into the land. That must be amazing. Another thing that I learned when I looked at all of the years is that it's been about 470 years since God told Abraham that his descendants would inherit this land. And so how amazing must it be for Joshua to be the one that gets to fulfill this almost 500 year promise that God made to his ancestors all these years before him. At this point, you know, Joshua may have been a little trepidatious whenever he was out there with the people and Moses was inaugurating him. But now he's gone in and God's told him exactly what's going to happen after they get there. And God has told him himself, you know, spoken directly to him and said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to teach you what to do. You're going to be fine. And you're going to fulfill the promise that I made to your father Abraham all those years ago. And so he must be coming out now a little more confident, you know, feeling like, okay, I've got this. And so the last thing that I wanted to talk about is this whole thing where he first said to them, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And then they go into the tabernacle and God says, the people are going to forsake me. They're going to turn away. They're going to break their covenant. And then I'm going to forsake them. And so, like, what? <laughs> like, all within a chapter, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. But then you're going to forsake me, and then I'm going to forsake you. After I just told you I wasn't going to. So how do we reconcile that? Because it is confusing. But God says that the people will break their covenant with me. But God does not break his covenant. He says they will break their covenant and they will forsake me. And then he says, and then I will forsake them and I will turn my face from them. He never says he's going to break his covenant because God cannot break his covenant. His promises always stand. 
And so God does not forget his promises that he made to the people. He keeps his promises even when the people break theirs. And so the forsaking is not really leaving. What he's doing is he says, the people are going to leave me. They're going to turn their backs from me and they're going to follow other gods. They're going to forget who their God is. And I'm going to let them. I'm going to, I'm going to allow that to happen. And so the first scenario that I thought of in this regard is I remember when Dawn was in Afghanistan and I was so tired because I had no help to raise two little bitty kids. And I remember walking into the room and seeing that Hayden had, um, gotten all the diapers out of the, the thing, you know, again and, and strung them all over the room. And he knew he wasn't supposed to do that. And I should have gone in there and dealt with it. But I thought, eh, who cares? <laughs> he doesn't know I see him. And if he knew I saw him, I'd have to get on to him. But providing that he doesn't know that I see it, I can just walk away. <laughs> and, and, and then later, I can't really get on to him because you know, he's too little to understand if I don't get onto him when it's happening. And so we'll just let this one go. And so I thought about that scenario at that moment because I think that that's kind of what God is doing. It's like, you're disobeying me. You're breaking covenant with me to obey. And I see it and I could deal with it, but I'm going to let it happen. I'm going to let you do your own thing. You know, that thing that Hayden did, it didn't hurt him at all. And he didn't serve any consequences for that. He was little and it was just annoying to me. But as the kids get older, you do sometimes, right? You let them do the thing and serve the consequences for it. You you have to kind of let them do the thing and see where their own way gets them for a little while. And that's what God is doing. He doesn't leave them. He's still there. They're leaving him. He's just turning them loose is really what he's doing. And that made me think of the story of the prodigal son. And y'all can go and read that if you want to. It's found in Luke 15. But in the story of the prodigal son, the son asked the dad, can I have my inheritance now? Because I don't want to wait till you die. I'd like it now, even though he had all the blessings and all the abundance living in his father's house, he wanted to go out on his own. He wanted to do his own thing and he wanted to have his own money and he wanted to do his own thing. And so the dad could have said, no, you're going to stay here and you're going to get this money when I'm gone and you're going to live in my house under my rules and do what I say. But he didn't do that. He let the boy go and see where he could get himself on his own. But did the father not love him? Did he forsake him in that sense? Did he say, um, you know, I don't love you anymore. I don't care about you or I don't want you to stay here. He wanted the boy to stay there, but he wasn't going to force him to stay where he didn't want to be. And he needed to let him let him go out there on his own and see what he could do on his own. And so 
when the boy does that, he goes out on his own. He squanders all his money. He ends up serving another man and, and feeding the pigs and, and wanting to eat the food that the pigs were eating because he was so hungry. And he thought, maybe I should just go back home and be one of his servants. And so he goes back home and he tells his dad, I just want to be your servant. Well, what happened? First of all, the dad sees him when he's still afar off because the dad's been watching for him. The dad wanted him to come home. The dad never wanted him to be gone in the first place. The dad didn't leave. The boy left. The boy left and the dad stayed there the whole time waiting for him to come home. And then when he came home, he welcomed him. He was excited. He celebrated and then he blessed him. And so the boy thinks, I'm only good enough to be a servant. And the dad says, no, no, you're not my servant. You're my son. You've always been my son. I'm not denouncing you. I'm not denying you. I don't hate you. I love you. I've been waiting on you to come home all of this time. And so that's what God is doing with us and what God did with the the people. He let them go. And, you know, they wanted to serve another God. Okay, go serve that other God. See what he can do for you. See if that other God that those people in that nation are praying to, see if he has any power. Go do that. And then when you find out that he didn't, you're going to come back to me and you're going to humble yourself. And then I'm going to be excited. And then there's two more stories that Jesus tells when he tells the story about the prodigal son, the lost sheep. You leave the 99 sheep and you go out and you look for the one sheep that's lost. And he says, this boy was lost and now he's found. When your sheep is lost and he's found, you celebrate. You leave the rest. You go get him. And so it's the same thing with God. He says that that the angels in heaven rejoice when one lost soul comes to know the Lord or returns to the Lord. And so God doesn't forsake us in that sense that we think of. And so I just wanted to clarify when he says, you know, I won't leave you and forsake you. And then he says, oh, but I do leave you and forsake you. He doesn't leave them. He doesn't break his covenant. He he just lets them loose. He loosens his grip on them a little bit and lets them do the thing. It's like the parent that's there all the time seeing what's going on. He sees them in these other nations. So he knows what's going on. He didn't leave. He isn't gone. And when he says, I turn my face from them, he's not actually turning. He's giving figurative language that we can understand. Just like I was like, oop, I don't see that. I don't know that Hayden's doing that right now. I'm pretending I don't know it's happening because I don't want to deal with it. God isn't doing it because he doesn't want to deal with it, but he is hiding his face from it in the sense that he's not tending to it. He sees their sins and he's not tending to them. Just as I wasn't tending to Hayden whenever he was getting all of those things out, God is not tending to the people by you know, going in there and dealing with their sin. He says, okay, I'm going to let you go serve those gods and see what happens. But God's always there. He sees it. He knows what's happening. He knows what's going on in the other nations. So I'm going to go ahead and, and pray and close this out. Dear Lord God, I thank you for your word to us today. I thank you for leading us, for being with us, for preparing the way. I thank you also, God, for giving us earthly uh, people here to follow that that know you and that we can look to god i thank you for your word that you got us with your word and i thank you that we have that i pray lord that you help us to keep it and treat it as precious to read it and know it 
and memorize it and be able to tell other people what your word says. Thank you also for your Holy Spirit that you sent to us, that we don't have to have a physical man, even in Jesus, to be with us every single moment, because we can pray to you, and you can guide us through your Spirit. And so I thank you for that. I also thank you, Lord, that you don't forsake us in the sense that we think that that word means, that you're always there, you're always wishing for your children to to follow you, to obey you, and and to have a relationship with you. And so, God, I thank you for always taking us back, always welcoming us back, always loving us, always wanting us to be there in your presence, following you and doing what you say. And so I thank you for giving us over and over and over and over again and ultimately for sending your son so that we can have that forgiveness. And so I thank you for all of those things, Lord. I pray that you will just keep us throughout the rest of this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. So that's all we have this week. Next week we will actually go over the song that Moses wrote while he was in the tabernacle. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. And if that looked just a little bit different than it normally does or sounded a little bit different, that's because I was recording it live with my normal Bible study group that I teach each week. I'm not sure if I will keep doing that or I won't. So comment and let me know if you like that better or you don't. I am more myself whenever I'm talking to a group. And so that's why I wanted to do that. But there's also lots of downsides to recording live when you're talking to people that you're used to talking to all the time. So comment and let me know what you think about that. And then don't forget that these full studies are written on Substack now. You can subscribe to that for $6 a month and you'll get four studies every month. You'll also get all the back studies that covered chapters 6 through 30 that I didn't do on podcast. Digital studies are great for the reasons that we know of it all being on one device. But also, all of the scriptures are in links. So you can just click on the link and you can read the scriptures through right there without having to get out your Bible, flip through things. You can change the version to any version that you want. So it's a great way to study for yourself or for a group. So if you want to do more than just listen to these and actually get into the study a little bit more, then that's an option for you. Also, many of these lessons, I won't be able to read all of the scriptures that I have in the actual study because it's just too much. So if you want to join me on Substack, the address is livethroughjesus.substack.com. And then you can also go to the livethroughjesus.com website and get a free Bible study over Abraham if you'll just put your email in there. And then weekly, I'll send you the new blog post and the new podcast. So it's all right there in your email. All options for you. I'm just happy for you to join me wherever it works best for you. So thanks and have a good week.